How good it is to hear the praises of God's people. Amen. I remember uh, back, back in my Bible college days, Annie and I went to a Bible college um, back in Maryland. And when we were there, uh, I remember there was this one chapel service where there was a professor. He was a counseling professor. And he uh, was very soft-spoken, you know, as, as it typically is in kind of the counseling world. Uh, didn't want to be kind of the outspoken, out in the public, out, you know, talking and so on. Uh, but he was leading chapel that, uh, that, that chapel service. And he was going to do a praise and worship service. And so he got there with his guitar. I think his son played drums, his daughter played keyboard, and, and they just led, you know, the chapel. It was about an hour or so uh, of, of chapel service of just him, you know, leading us in singing. And we're sitting there, and we're singing and so on. And I had done some stuff with the praise band, and he had done stuff with the praise band there uh, at the Bible college. And, and I was just mesmerized. I was just sitting here, you know, singing, and it was like for just a moment, for just a moment, it was like nothing else existed. Like we were just in the presence of God and just having such a wonderful time worshiping him. And I, I left, uh, when chapel was over, I got up and I went over to him and I was just like, you know, his name was, uh, was Professor Baina. And we were like, Professor Baina, I was just like, thank you so much. I, I just had such a wonderful time worshiping the Lord and, and thank you so much for leading worship. And he said something to me that has stuck with me all these years, some 20 some odd years uh, since those days. He, he said, my goal as a worship leader, is to help people hear themselves worship God. And I just sat back. It, it was just a, 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 a new concept for me. Back in those days, it was, you know, we, we were kind of in the days of that uh, kind of modern worship movement. And so, you know, I was like, plug in my guitar and let's rock, you know, and it was just, we're going to, we're going to jam and it's going to be as loud as possible. And we're just, we're just going to, you know, we want heaven to hear us and just, you know, ah, you know, bring that solo, you know, just all this stuff. It was just, it was just, it was, it was a lot. Okay. Uh, as you would expect from 20 somethings, it was a lot. And, uh, and, and, and just to hear him say, no, 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 no. He's like, there's nothing wrong with that. He's like, just don't get in the way. The goal is for us to hear each other give praise and honor to our God. And so for JD, for Annie, uh, for all of y'all, that, that, for you guys here, you know, just thank you so much for y'all's work in, in helping me hear you. Praise the Lord. Uh, and I hope that you were blessed hearing each other worship God today. Yeah. I don't know about you, but there, there are some days that go on in the week where I, I kind of need to be reminded once again that it is his breath in my lungs, right? There are moments where I need to be reminded that, that, that this world, as crazy as it is, I mean, y'all heard the news yesterday, even in upstate New York, you know, and, and just the, the madness of, of people with, with this poisonous mindset that, 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 that certain groups of people are here to take away from other groups of people. And so we need to go into crowded public areas and just shoot people. And I, and I need to hear when I walk into a sanctuary like this, a sanctuary, I know, I know, it's an auditorium, but it's a sanctuary today, okay? And we gather together to say one more time, there is one God. 
and he has sent his son. And there is one hope in life and in death, and it is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so thank you for reminding me once again that this world is, is not, you know, a, it's a hot mess, but it's a, but it's a hot mess leading to something really great. The story is not over. God is on his throne. Amen? Amen. Amen. So thank you all so much for that. I just, I just needed to give a shout out to the worshipers here in the room today. Thank you all so much. Well, let's look again at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Uh, if your Bibles aren't there, go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Romans chapter 10. We're jumping right back into this amazing letter, this letter to the Romans I know that it has been a blessing to my heart. I pray it's been a blessing to y'all's hearts uh, as we've, as we've uh, been working our way through this letter. And we are at about the, 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 the peak of really where kind of the thickest of brush in what may be the most difficult section in Romans, Romans 9, 10, and 11. But God has been so good, and he's been teaching us and growing us uh, as we've been working through this. When you're in Romans 10, say, I'm there. All right, look at verse 14. We'll read it one more time. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Maybe it's good to look at verse 13. Why is he even asking that? Well, because he just said in verse 13, quoting Joel 2, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the prophecy that was given from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So now he asks in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's coming from Isaiah 52, 7. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says in chapter 53, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For, Psalm 19, verse 4, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did, not, or did Israel not understand? Well, first Moses says in Deuteronomy 32, 21, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say in Isaiah 65, 1, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says in verse 2 of that chapter, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now let's ask that God would give us insight and understanding to hear and to heed this great word. Let's pray. You are showing us here just how, 
how deep unbelief runs. And so the mission is vital. There will be no uh, hearing if there is no preaching. There will be no believing if there is no hearing. There will be no calling on you if there is no believing. And so, Father, I pray that you would please, please move among us. Not only, Lord, would you move in our communities that they would believe, but, Lord, we see how that is even possible here in this text. It is only through men and women who have been born again, who have been transformed by the gospel, that are mobilized and go from these places where we gather, scattering abroad into the triangle, into this nation, and even into the nations with this good news. And so, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. You are the sender here. And so I pray, Lord, that you would send us out. And for those who are reached, for those who hear this news, for those who have heard the gospel, Lord, I pray that it would not fall on deaf ears. But Lord, I pray that they would hear that Jesus is exactly who they say he is. And I pray, Lord, that they would receive him as their Savior and their Lord and their treasure. And I pray, Lord, that they would be saved. Lord, you are the one who oversees all of this. None of this is possible apart from your grace. So, Lord, be gracious to us. Move in us and through us to accomplish your great purpose here and beyond to the ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on Friday, over at Southeastern, we had our graduation. Uh, we had a couple of graduation ceremonies. It was wonderful. I get in my little regalia and so on and, and, and sit there on the platform and we watch as students walk the platform, receive their diplomas, smile for the picture, and, and, and they're all just absolutely in awe of the fact that they have finished. It's done. They've made it. Yes! Some of you uh, know about that. Some of you have, uh, have had graduation ceremonies where you've gone to cheer your loved ones, whether it be one of your own or whether it be a good friend or, or so on. You, you have had those experiences as well, and you've said, yes, it's great, it's wonderful. It's great for the graduates. The semester is also great for those who have finished the semester. They've finished their courses, uh, they've done their finals, they've done their papers, and all of that, and now it's summer. Yes, this is great. But then there's another category of student. They're the ones who have uh, apparently just realized that the semester is over. And, and now that the semester is over, they're panicking because there are projects that they've never seen before, they've never heard of before that all of a sudden are due. And apparently, according to rumors, have a very large effect on their final grade. And so now all of a sudden, here comes this rush of emails that I get and several of my colleagues get from students that say, uh, uh, yeah, so, so that paper, um, could you run that by me again? Uh, what, what, what's, what, what's this paper about and everything? And, and they're saying, you know, but, but I, I didn't know about this paper. Uh, no one told me about this paper. 
And, and, and when this happens at the end of the semester, I'm reminded of a picture from one of my colleagues, Stephen Ecker. He's actually an elder over at Open Door, uh, and he also teaches church history at Southeastern. And he has a shirt, and as you see there on the shirt, he has in big letters, it's in the syllabus. There it is. It's in the syllabus. He wears that on the first day of class, right? So it's, it's kind of a, 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 a um, uh, preemptive strike, if you will, against the students to say, hey, if you have a question about a project or anything, first things first, read the syllabus. It's right there. And for anybody at the end of the semester that said, we didn't know, we never heard, you, you didn't tell us. No, 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 no. I told you. We told you. Because it's in the syllabus. You know, it's interesting with Israel at this time uh, in, in Paul's writing here in the letter to the Romans. Uh, Israel is having one of these crises, right? They, they've come face to face with the reality that they are largely outside of uh, the, the grace of God. They, they are not receiving the blessings that God had promised them and, and, and so on. Why? Because they have not come to put their faith and their trust in the one and only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul imagines them having this bit of existential crisis where they're saying, no one told us. We didn't know. And Paul is reminding them in this passage, no, you did know, you were told, it's in the syllabus. <laughs> it's, it's in the scriptures. You, you read the scriptures. You know all of this. You know what the Bible says. This is exactly what he said would happen. You trust in him and you will live. You do not trust in him and you will be condemned. As I'm reminded of Israel, and we're going to talk a bit about them in here because they're Paul's focus in these chapters, in chapters 9, 10, and 11. I'm also reminded, though, of the area where we live. Let's, let's be honest. There are many, many, many churches in this area. Our triangle is dense with churches. Can we all agree on that? There are plenty of churches all over the place. Many good churches, some we're praying for, you know, but, but, there, are, but there are plenty of churches that are around. I, the International Mission Board, uh, which is the mission-sending organization of the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're, we uh, are in partnership with and cooperation with, uh, they have a list of the top 10 mission-sending churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. You may not know this, but... Five of the top ten are right here in the triangle. Yeah, five of the top ten mission-sending churches are right here in the triangle. So nobody could say Raleigh and, and the surrounding triangle area is an unreached people group. That's just not true. But you could imagine, even in a place like here, that there are many, many people who don't believe. You know this. Some of them may be in your home. Some of them may be in your neighborhood. Some may be at the job or at the school. Uh, some of them you may run into at Harris Teeter or, 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 or Food Lion or Best Buy. And, and, and you see them all the time. You, you meet them and you realize in conversation, they don't know Jesus. They have not placed their faith in him. And it's easy for any of them, maybe some who are here today, to say, but we didn't know. 
but we've never heard. And so that leads to two things that I think Paul's here trying to show us. One is that we have an obligation to make sure they do hear. Okay? We have an obligation to make sure that they do hear this, number one. And two, having heard, they now have a responsibility. What do we do with this? Okay? And that's exactly what he's saying here about Israel, and I think that that's exactly what he's saying with us in our community here. Okay? He breaks this up. If we could break it up, I think there are really five things that he's saying here, five parts to this, uh, to this text here. Uh, and, and I want to I show us and just walk us through his argument. In, in chapter 9, if you could use this syllabus analogy, it seems as if Israel is saying, well, you know, we didn't know about the assignment. <laughs> we, we didn't know what was, what was going on. We didn't know what was required of us. We didn't know any of these different things. And in chapter 9, it's almost as if they're saying, we blame the professor. It's the professor's fault right? He said that he was going to give us mercy. He said he was going to give us grace. He said he was going to bless our, uh, the children of Abraham and all of that. It's the professor's fault. And so Paul in Romans 9 is lays out in brilliant form. If you uh, may have forgotten what's going on there, or maybe you're unfamiliar with chapter 9, go ahead and read chapter 9 uh, in your free time today and just follow Paul's train of thought. What he's saying here is the professor is not to blame. The professor, first off, is free to give mercy to whomever he wants to give mercy to, and he's free to condemn whoever he wants to condemn. He is the judge. He is absolutely free. He is absolutely sovereign, and he can do whatever he pleases. I, I thought I would get more amens on that one, but we, we, we are treasuring Christ's church, right? Okay, just, just checking. And so he, you can't blame the professor. It's not the professor's fault. The professor is free to do whatever he wants to do, Okay. But it seems in chapter 10 that now he starts to go, well, if we can't blame the professor, then we'll blame the teacher's assistant because they didn't deliver the syllabus. They didn't give it to us and all of that. And that's where we are here in this passage. So first off, what we need to see is this. We need to go and tell the gospel. We need to go and tell the gospel. Why? Well, look at verse 14. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In order for me to call on the name of the Lord, as he said in verse 13, again quoting Joel 2.32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is now saying they will never call on him if they've never first believed in him. Think about this. This is actually a very important point when we're talking about dealing with folks who don't know Christ, folks who don't believe. Are you expecting too much of your unbelieving children? or your unbelieving spouse, or your unbelieving neighbor, and so on. They will not call on the name of the Lord if they don't first believe that he is the Lord, right? If, if I don't believe that Jesus is my only hope, if I don't believe that Jesus is my only deliverer and my only savior, I will not call on him. I will go anywhere and everywhere else. I will binge watch something. I will binge drink something. I will, I will go and spend my money away on sports betting. I will, I will do all of these different things that I, will, that I can think of to cover up the fact that I have no idea where to turn. They will never call if they don't believe. Keep on going. And how are they to believe on, in him of whom they've never heard? I cannot believe in a God that I've never heard about before. 
And so I've, I've got uh, somebody actually needs to, needs to make sure that they hear. Well, how can, how can they hear? He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? I, I cannot hear the gospel unless someone opens up their mouths. If you stay silent, they will never hear. If they don't hear, they will never believe. If they don't believe, they will never call on him. Do you get the, the train of thought here? And then he says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Question. Do you know this gospel? Do you know of the Lord Jesus Christ sent by the great sender, our Father in heaven, who has sent his Son to come down, to lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins? He is the one who lived the righteousness that none of us could attain. All of us know this to the depths of our beings. We know this. We know we're not good enough. We know we never amount to, amount to much. We know that we could never make the Father smile because of our good deeds and our righteousness and all of that. Our righteousness, as the prophet says, is like filthy rags. That's our best. Our best isn't good enough for him. But Jesus came and he accomplished the righteousness that you could not accomplish. And he took our unrighteousness and placed it on his shoulders on the cross, suffered and, and, and took on all of the wrath of God upon himself so that when you trust in him, his righteousness will be your own because your unrighteousness he made his own. And because of that, you are, in the eyes of God, declared righteous. You are justified if you trust that he's actually capable of doing this. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Well, guess what? If you trust him, if you believe this message, then now, just as the Father has sent the Son, John 20 tells us, so he, Jesus says in John 20, so now I send you. This is a chain reaction here, isn't it? Welcome, you're a domino, right? The first domino was the father who sent his son. And now, having accomplished all that he set out to accomplish, the son now sends you. Now that you have been sent, you've been commissioned to go. You say, where do I go? Well, where are you? You say, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Raleigh-Durham area. Okay, then go there, right? Um, how, how many of you live somewhere? Okay, good, good. Um, you know, it's kind of a space-time thing. That's one of those requirements for, you know, being human. Um, you got to be somewhere. <laughs> you know, you're not just floating in space somewhere. But, but you're here on Earth in a particular geographic location and all of that. Be there. Some of you are going, you know, I just don't know how to do this. I mean, we're living here in, the, in, in this area, and we're trying to find a house where we could live here a little bit more permanently, and, and rent has gone nuts, and mortgages are through the roof, and house prices are, are all over the map, and we just don't know how we're going to live here, and yet we don't know where to go and how to get out, and we don't, we're, we're kind of stuck here. What if that stuckness that you feel is God saying, I still have a mission for you here? It may not be a long-term thing. It may be a temporary thing. I may eventually move you out, but for right now, I've got you here. And as long as you're here, and all the difficulty of trying to figure out how this is going to work out and all that, let him figure that out. He will provide as he sees fit. But in the meantime, open your mouth. You got to say something if they're going to hear it. 
And they're going to, and if they cannot believe until they hear, until you talk. So you've got to say it. Some of you are wondering as you're there on the job and you're going, that one guy. Or maybe you're in the neighborhood and you've got that one annoying kid. And you're going, I don't understand. Why do they keep coming over and they keep playing with my kids? I don't want them to play with my kids, you know, and all that. But they keep coming over anyways and all that. What if they're there for the purpose of you opening your mouth and giving them the message that could change their lives if they would believe? You see? Maybe the reason that God's got you at that difficult job and you're going, I don't know why I'm over here at this job and it's, it's miserable, I hate it, you know, and all of this. I come home and I'm tired. I don't even want to feel like doing anything. I just want to go straight to bed, you know, and all these. What if you're on that job to open your mouth, to say something about our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for our salvation? What if that's why you're there? Look what he says in quoting Isaiah 52 and verse 15 here in Romans. He quotes Isaiah 52, 7, and he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, now I know, you know, because we, you know, we feel some kind of way about feet. And we're just like, I don't, don't, don't be talking about feet and everything. Put some, put some socks on, please. But, 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 but he, what he's saying here is the people who go, who, who actually take the initiative to walk, to a person with the intention of telling them the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus, Paul says, quoting Isaiah the prophet, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Think about the, uh, the missionary, especially here in the first century. They're not going around in, in Jordans, you know, or anything like that. They're walking around in sandals. And they're not walking on asphalt. They're walking on dirt, and so to go from person to person and town to town and all of that, those are some stank, nasty feet. All right. I mean, let's, let's just be honest about it. You know, you're not looking at those feet and going, no, nah, I, I, Paul, I'm not seeing beautiful there. What's the beautiful part about all that? The beautiful part isn't the feet necessarily. It's the message that is being carried on those feet. See? It's a beautiful thing to share the gospel. It's a beautiful thing to tell other people. I know you say, you're like, but, but you don't understand. I mean, you, you teach for a living and you preach, you know, uh, regularly and, and you seem like you love to do all of this. And I do love to do all of this. But anybody that has ever sat next to me when I'm sitting down there uh, or when I'm on campus or anything like that knows that my hands get all kinds of sweaty. They do, you know, and... and and my, my blood pressure, you know, I can feel the temperature rising and all of that. And typically when I'm sitting there, you may not even notice all of this, but there's one, there's a moment just about every single Sunday that I get a chance to preach where I just sit, kind of lower my head, and I just say very quietly, help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. Because I get up here and I go, oh boy, that's a lot of people looking at me. And, uh, and I don't want to say anything crazy, and I don't want to do anything that would, that would, that would misrepresent the text or, or anything like that. I, I don't want to lead people astray, and I feel that pressure, just like you feel that pressure. You don't want to say something, and, and they ask a question about the gospel, and you're like, I don't know the question. Oh my goodness, I just made another atheist. You know, no, that, no, 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 that's fine. No, no well, it's not fine, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you're fine. You're fine. You are not going in your strength. You are not going in your own ability. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room 
or the, or, the, or the brightest gal in the room in order to share the gospel. You just need to know who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is? Tell them what you know. <laughs> has, has he worked in your life? Tell them what he's done. You see, has he, has he changed you around? Tell them about it. That's all he wants you to do. Just share. Just open your mouth and let them know there is a God in heaven who is mighty to save. Yeah, we all need to go and tell the gospel. They will not believe. They will not call on him. They will not hear until you say something. Go and tell. But here's the reality, as he says in verse 16, and this is kind of the shift in, in, in his argument. In verse 16, he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So you're going to go and you're going to tell the gospel, but you also have to realize not everybody's going to believe. Not all will obey the gospel. Even though you're going and you're telling and so on, notice you are not the one that's doing the saving. You're the one doing the delivering. You're delivering the message. Okay? And he said, and, and she said this to me so many times over the years, you are not the chef. You're just the waiter. <laughs> we, we, get the, we, we, we get that mixed up, don't we? We, we feel like we said something and, and, and that person didn't respond to the gospel. And we go, man, what did I say? What did I do? Uh, did, I, was, did I say it wrong? Did I not use the right inflection? You know, maybe, maybe I, I, I said it and it was just the wrong timing. I should have been more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I just kind of blurted it out and all that. I don't know. And, you, and your mind just goes racing of all the things that, that could have gone a little bit better so that that person could respond to the gospel. Hey, that is not your job. That's not your job. Your job is lovingly delivering the truth of the gospel. And it is now their responsibility to hear and believe. And Paul says here in verse 16, not all are going to do that. Not all are going to do that. In fact, it says, and uh, quoting Isaiah 53, 1, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Paul uh, extracts a principle out of that, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me, let, me, let me put this in pause for just a little bit because I, 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 I want to press this just a, just a bit. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we go and we tell the gospel. We, we give the word of Christ. We, we share that good news. Okay? And they need to hear the good news of Jesus and having heard the good news, they have to receive it as the truth and follow it. Paul also says, if you notice the language there in verse 16, that that is obedience to the gospel. And that's actually key, uh, a key phrase in Paul's uh, letter here, in the letter to the Romans. Uh, let, me, let me show you. Hold your, your finger here in Romans 10. Go back to the beginning of the letter in, in chapter 1. Romans 1. I believe it was the mid-1800s when we were in this part of the passage. We're going all the way back to the beginning of the letter. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Who is this son? Who is this son? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, notice, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Notice the point of this mission, to get the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, the point of this mission is to bring about, by God's grace, to bring about the obedience of faith. Faith is the obedient response to the claims of the gospel. Uh, now, uh, go back to, uh, or go to the end of the letter in Romans 16. Romans 16. And notice in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, note, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so you notice here, once again, the obedience of faith. Faith is the obedient response to the message of the gospel. The gospel is both an announcement and it is a command. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins. Jesus was raised from the dead and exalted to the highest place, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, far above all rulers and authorities and powers and principalities. What is the command of the gospel? The command of the gospel is simple. Trust him and bow down. Bow down to King Jesus if you are to be saved from the judgment that is to come. Bow down to King Jesus if you are going to receive the eternal life that can only come through him. Bow down to King Jesus if you are going to be forgiven of your sins and you are going to be given amnesty in this life and in, the le- and in the next, bow down to Jesus if you want your life transformed and you want to be brought into a true, meaningful, and lasting community, not just with God but with other people. Bow down to King Jesus. And it's only in bowing down to him that you will receive all the blessings of this gospel. And we in faith say Yes, yes, I believe. But the reality that he shows us here in Romans 10 is not everybody's going to respond that way. Not everyone's going to respond that way. Which is why, and, 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 and I want you to hear this, because you say, well, what do we do when people don't respond that way? And you say, well, I just go with my tail between my legs and just, you know, <laughs> play some blues music and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, cry for a little. No, 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 no. This is what you do. You get on your knees. You go to the Lord and say, Father, please, 
cause this gospel to bear fruit. And then you go, when God gives the opportunity, and you say it again. And you love on them even more. And you continue on. And you continue on. And you keep on praying. And you keep on sharing. And you keep on loving. And you keep on praying. And you keep on sharing. And you keep on loving. And you keep on praying. And you keep on sharing. And you keep on loving. And maybe in the grace of God and by His mercy, the hard heart would be softened. And they would receive the gospel. But it's only when they obey the command of Christ. We need to go and tell the gospel. Not all are going to obey the gospel. And now Paul's going to think about Israel and he's going to say, why, why, why don't they? Why, haven't, why hasn't Israel obeyed the gospel? And perhaps we can see in here why some of our friends and so on haven't received the gospel. Look what he says. He says in uh, verse 18, he says, but I ask, have they not heard? Just like the student that says, but, but I ne- no one ever told me. I didn't know and all that. And just a little side note, because let's just be here about Israel. There are many, many unreached people groups in our world today. What are unreached people groups? There are people who have yet to hear the good news of Christ. They have yet to hear the gospel. You go into those lands, you go into those uh, communities, and you could go for you know, your entire lifetime, and you will never find a church in those lands. You will never find another Christian in those lands, or at least you, it, the chances are very slim that you would find another Christian in that land. Those are unreached, unengaged people groups. Newsflash. Israel is absolutely at the bottom of that list, right? They are the most reached people in all of the planet, okay? And so for them to go, but we didn't know, nobody ever told us, is the most ridiculous thing that you could hear in the Bible. Look what he says. He says, uh, have they not heard? He says, indeed they have. For, quoting Psalm 19, verse 4, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The, the idea here, he's quoting Psalm 19, and in Psalm 19, this verse is actually referring to uh, what we call as natural revelation. In other words, he says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and he's talking about the sun riding its course from sunrise to sunset. And the idea there is, There's no way that you could say there is no God because you have a sky that is screaming to you every single day, there is a God. And every time you ooh and awe at a sunrise and ooh and awe at a sunset, you are ooh and aahing at the glory of God. You, You are saying there is a God and he is worthy to be praised. You say, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, but that's what you were saying. Um, you, were, you were really saying that. There is a God. You may reject the very gospel that was coming out of your mouth when you were saying, ooh, you may reject that, but you said it. <laughs> you said there is a God and he is worthy of glory and worthy of praise. Th- th- he's talking about that in Psalm 19. Paul takes that and Paul says, we, can't even, we don't just say that about natural revelation. We can say that about the gospel as well. Does he mean that the gospel has made it to every single people group in every single place? No, that's not what he means. Remember, he's talking about the unbelief of Israel. 
What he's saying is, in all of the known places where at that time, in first century, you know, uh, Middle East and all of that, and Europe and everywhere, in those places where Jews have been, he said the gospel has made it to the synagogues. The gospel has made it into those communities. They have had an opportunity to receive the gospel. The word has gone forth. The problem is not that they haven't heard. Think about even here. The gospel has gone forth in our communities. The gospel has gone forth in our neighborhoods. We're, we're in this Bible belt, whatever that means, and people come in here and they hear the, and they, they say, we grew up in church. We grew up hearing the gospel. I know John 3.16. Then you can never say you've never heard. You can never say that. The problem is not that you haven't heard. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we got to you know, say, okay, okay, I'll give you that. The problem isn't that we didn't hear. But, but how about this? The problem is that it wasn't clear. See what he says in verse 19? But I ask, did Israel not understand? Uh, you know, that was the problem. I mean, you gave us this message, and we needed like a decoder ring and all of that to understand this thing. And we don't know what the gospel is really about. It was just, it's too jumbled up and, and, and everything. It's hard to hear. Well, he says, well, let's look at that. First, let's, let's look at Moses, and then we're going to look at what Isaiah says, okay? So I, Moses talks about this, and Isaiah talks about this in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. What's the point here? Well, let me, let me, let me show you what Isaiah says as well. He says, Isaiah is so bold as to say in Isaiah 65, 1, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Notice, they are not a nation. In other words, they, they, they haven't even figured out how to, how, to, how to bring their resources together and constitute a people group in themselves. They're just kind of scattered off in their tribes, scattered off in their clans and all of these different things. And he says also they're a foolish nation. In other words, they don't know the things of God. They don't know, the, they don't have copies of the Bible with them and all of that. They, they don't know right from wrong as revealed in Scripture. They don't know those things. They did not seek me, Isaiah said. They didn't even ask for me. And yet, they know me. So hold up. If the problem is that the gospel isn't clear, then how is it that people who did not grow up in church, who did not go to seminary, or Bible college, or anything like that, who didn't have parents as pastors, they weren't PKs or MKs, missionary kids, or anything like that. They didn't have all of those things. And yet when they heard the gospel walking out of a bar, or they heard the gospel strung out on drugs, or they heard the gospel after a night of prostitution and all of these different things that we've heard. Some of y'all are familiar with these testimonies. You've heard these stories over and over again. They heard the gospel and they heard that there was a God in heaven who loved them, who sent their, his son to die for them, and they turned from their sin and went walking forward in, uh, in faith in Jesus Christ. If the gospel is hard to understand, how are these folks with zero interaction with the gospel believing in the gospel? You see what's going on? Paul is saying, no, the problem isn't that you didn't hear. And the problem is not that it wasn't clear. What is the problem then? The problem is, verse 21, going back to Isaiah, he says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The picture there is crystal clear. It's not that they didn't hear. It's not that it wasn't clear. 
It's that they just flat out reject the God of the gospel. They reject the God of the gospel. Notice, Isaiah does not say, I gave you the message and you didn't hear it. I gave you the message and you didn't receive it. No, this is now God speaking and saying, I stretched out my hands to you. Much like when, uh, whenever uh, the family and I, we go over to uh, up north to Delaware to see my folks. We go to Pennsylvania to see Annie's folks. And, and as soon as we get out of the truck, we get out of the truck, all of a sudden we see grandparents. And they come over and, hey, hey, come on over here. And you got the grandkids that run. And, and mind you, every year this, this becomes more of a train wreck. Because it's one thing when they're little. You know, and they run. It's another thing when you got a 15-year-old barreling like a locomotive, you know, over, over at someone who is also older <laughs> than, than, they, than they used to be as well. And so they, they come and, and, and all of that, and it's just like, oh, boy, this is going to be awkward. Uh, I hope they're medicated. Um, and then it smash. You know, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, that embrace. That's what God is doing. For those of you who don't know Jesus, that's what he's doing right now. What, you say, I don't know that. I, how, how can you say that? Here's how I know I can say that. Because you just heard the gospel. Your hearing of the gospel is God saying, come on, come on, come here. See? God, God is stretching out his arms saying, come to me. Just as our Lord Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is, is, is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. God has done that. God did that for those of us who believe in the gospel. Oh, you know that moment when you were just burdened and, and so on on your bed and you talked to mommy or you talked to daddy and they gave you the gospel and you said, that's what I need. I needed to hear that. I need him to be my savior. He was stretching his arms out towards you saying, come on, come to me. And by his grace, you came to him. That, that you heard that when you were at your uh, uh, wit's end and you were wondering, how in the world am I going to live another day? How in the world am I going to take another step? I've made a mess of my life and I can't even show my face anymore. And you heard the good news of a God in heaven who has grace for sinners, who does not step on you and beat you and bludgeon you and all of that, but who says, come on over here. Let me clean you up. Let me take away your burdens. Let me be the one who works for you because that's the kind of God that I am. I'm not going to put you on a hamster wheel and say, do more, work harder, try better, and all of that. I'm a God who says, I will do all the work for you so that you can trust in me and enjoy me forever. That's the God. When you heard that message, when you heard that message, you, you were hearing, in essence, a visual of God. I know hearing a visual, mixed metaphor, makes no sense, but it does make sense in the Bible. You heard him stretching his arms saying, come on over, come Come to me. The problem isn't that you didn't hear, for those who don't know Jesus. The problem isn't that it wasn't clear. The problem is God himself was stretching out his arms to you and you said, no. That's what he says here. All day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I'm offering you living water. I'm here with eternal life. 
I'm here where you can have a relationship with me forever. I'm here to make all things new. And you see all of that and hear all of that and say, but I like my way better. That's what's at the heart of this. What's at the heart of this is we have people, neighbors, friends, family members, who prefer their way over God. Now when you hear that, I hope you start to see why Romans 9 is so important. If Romans 10 were just by itself, then we would go, well, then I need a, a more you know, clever technique, right? I, I, I need, uh, kind of as Meredith was talking about before, I need strobe lights, I need lasers, I need smoke machines and all these things. We've got we to wow them to Jesus, right? So, so the, if, if the problem is just simply that they don't receive it, you know, and all of that, then we just go, well, we got to go big, right? You know, bring in, bring in, you know, all of the, 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 the pyrotechnics and everything. We got, we got to give them a show. But if this is about a heart that is fundamentally bent away from the Lord, that does not love Him, does not want Him, then we realize that the only way this is going to change is if God does the changing. That's the only answer. And that's why Romans 9 is so important. People love to take Romans 9 and Romans 10 and rip them apart from each other. We got the people over here going, God is sovereign, and God moves, and God works, and we do nothing. We sit on our behinds, and we just wait for God to save the world. The world's burning, but that's okay. God's going to do something about it. Go team, right? And you're just going to sit there and do nothing. And then you have the Romans 10 folks that are going, what are you doing just sitting there? We got to do it, because if we don't do it, the whole world's going to go, to, go, to, go, go, go uh, down in, in the drain. It's going to go in flames and all of that. We got to do it. All, everything is on our shoulders. The hope of the world rests on us. Or you can believe in Romans 9 and in Romans 10 and say, God is in control of all things. God is accomplishing his purpose. And in the astonishing grace of God, he has chosen to accomplish his purpose through you. And so we go in all the confidence. We don't know who God is going to save. We don't know who's going to receive the message. We don't know who's going to believe and all of that. All of that is in the mystery of God. We don't know. He does. We don't. All I know is this person needs to hear the gospel, and so I'm going to go and tell them the gospel. And I'm going to love on them, and I'm going to plead with God to have mercy on their souls and to bring them into the family. That's all I can do. And, and I wait and trust that God will accomplish his purpose. And I plead that that purpose is mercy. Yeah. Because he is sovereign, we go. Because he is sovereign, we go. And because the need is great, we trust in the sovereign one. You see? Romans 9 and Romans 10. So, you cannot say that the problem is that no one has heard. Not if we are going and telling every single person the gospel. The problem is actually much deeper than that. The problem is we are humans with hearts that are bent against the Lord. And just as the Lord has changed our hearts, 
we pray that God will change the hearts of our family members and our neighbors. That's why we go and tell them. And by God's grace, we pray that that is why they believe. And so, let's go. No, I mean, like, seriously, don't, don't sit there. I mean, like, get, like we got to get up and we got to go. We're going to sing another song and we're going to love on people and everything. And we're going to have a great time over at the house, down the street, and so on. But, but when all of that is over, let's go. Go tell someone. Trusting that the sovereign God of Romans 9 will accomplish his purpose. And after hearing the gospel of Romans 10, they will believe and call on the name of the Lord, and will be saved. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you would accomplish your great purpose. Lord, I'm sure that right now we, we've got names and faces flooding in our minds right now, and in our hearts. For some, it may be the name and face of a parent or a sibling or a child, a neighbor, a co-worker. Perhaps there are some who are here that have more than one name and more than one face. And right now, Lord, we call on your name that you would move in them, that they would call on your name. We give them their names right now. We submit them to you. Lord, because we know and we trust in your sovereign power, we don't just ask, Lord, that you would save them, though of course that is, Lord, our heart's desire, but we ask even more, Lord, that you would give us an opportunity to tell them ourselves. Lord, you've placed us in their lives and you've placed them in our lives, we believe, for these divine appointments for these moments where we could share with them the good news of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up the door, that you would bring about the opportunity. And, Lord, I pray that we would not resist the opportunity or reject the opportunity or ignore the open door. But, Lord, I pray that once, we, once that opportunity is there, that we would take advantage of that opportunity and share the good news of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would hear the clear gospel. And that, Lord, they would not reject this gospel, but they would receive as good news. That they would obey the gospel by trusting in Christ. And that they too would be saved. Father, there may be some here today that would say, if I could just be real for a few seconds, I, I didn't believe this message coming in here. But, but this is the good news that I've been longing for my whole life. 
And, and, and maybe I have been rejecting it and kind of pushing it aside and ignoring it for, for several years now, but, but, but now I realize that I, I don't have tomorrow guaranteed, and, and, and I don't know if I'm going to get another opportunity, and so I pray, Lord, please save me. I'm listening. I hear you. I'm coming to you, Lord, by your grace. Lord, I pray that you would do your work even among us today. Father, I ask that as we have great goals and aspirations to get the gospel to more people than we could ever imagine, that, Lord, it would not be wishful thinking for us, but that you, the God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, that you, Lord, would take over and you would move in this church among this treasuring Christ family to get the gospel out like never before in this community. And I pray, Father, that in so doing, you would draw many, many more to the Savior. That we could be talking the language of revival because of what you choose to do in our midst. Lord, we thank you for these things. You are the big God. Have your way in us and through us. Draw many more to the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name.